So today we're going to start a new series called Sticks and Stones, and we're going to talk about how words hurt. And I just gave you a good example because I hurt Carrie's feelings um, with my little joke there. But sticks and stones. So a lot of times people say, you know the old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And, and that's really fake. How many of you have ever, you may not want to raise your hand, um, but have you ever been hurt by someone's words? Yeah, lots of us have. Some of us are like very bold raising our hands. We get our feelings hurt by people's words. Have you ever hurt someone with your words? Yeah, lots of us have. Um, If you're like me and you talk a lot, eventually you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. It happens all the time. And um, and it's one of those things that words really are powerful. And that's what we're going to get into today. As a matter of fact, it's it's funny um, how words work because you move one word here or there in a sentence and it can change a lot of stuff up. For example, we were just we just had the, the screen about the small groups and my mom leans up to me and she goes, my group is called Lunch Ladies, not Ladies Lunch. And I said, well, what's the difference? She said, there's a difference. And I said, are you going to be ladies? And she was like, yes. Are you eating lunch? She said, yes. I said, then what's the difference? And then it hit me as I was walking on stage. She's doing a small group for lunch ladies, women that serve lunches at schools. Right? Right. The problem is, if you're doing lunch for lunch ladies, mom, they're working during lunch. So you have to think that one through. So if you're a lunch lady today, talk to her and uh, she'll help you out. When I was a little kid, when I was a little kid, uh, I was really young and um, I was obviously, obviously. Listen, listen, y'all stop. Y'all stop making fun of me. Um, I'm gonna get my feelings hurt. So when I was a little kid, when I was a young child, when I was a young child, too young uh, to, to be saying things like this, I walked up to my mother one day and I used, sorry, little kids, I used the word damn in speaking to my mother. I just called her a, a damn fool or something. What did I say? Something like, that. I don't know what I said. I said something terrible to my mother and I used the word damn as a, as a little child. And my mom looked at me and she said, Gabriel, we do not say that word. That is a bad word. And we don't say that word. And she said, there are, there are two different ways to use that word. One is a bad way. And one is a dam, like, like beavers build dams and people have dams and rivers. And she said, do you understand? I was like, yeah, I get it. And I was like two, two or three years old. One, I was one, 12, you said 12, 27. Is that what you said? I was a little guy. And so and so later on, you know, I understood. And so later on, we're in the car and we're driving somewhere. And I said, damn again. I was like, damn it. And my mom said, Gabriel, right? And I said, beavers damn, mom, beavers damn. <laughs> words are important. And how you use words are important, right? If you want to cuss, you just throw that beaver uh, word right in front of there or something like that and make it, make it work for you. Um, but today we want to talk about this. I want you to think for just a second. Think back to the importance of words. I want you to think back to certain words that you heard growing up, whether that was from, oh man, I just got hot. Like I don't ever cuss. And now I'm getting, like I'm about to start sweating right now. I'm going to take this Mr. Rogers jacket off. Um, And so uh, think back right now to some words that someone said. Think about your coaches. Think about your teachers. Think about your parents. Think about your siblings. Think about words that someone said to you that you still remember to this day. Think about that. Think about words that made an impact on your life. Think about things that you do to this day because of words somebody 
told you, whether it's good or bad. There's some of you, your career took off and went a certain direction because of words somebody spoke over you. There's some of you that never did things that you probably should have done because of words that were spoken to you. So think about the impact of those words. I'll never forget being a, being, um, a teenager and, and my brother, I used to be so skinny. I've shared this before. I was so skinny that I would wear big t-shirts to try to cover up my skinniness. Well, guess what a big t-shirt does? It emphasizes how skinny you are. And I remember one time my brother said, if you put your arms out, you'd be a kite and I could fly you outside. I'll never forget those words. I know exactly where I was. We were in Springfield, Missouri. I was in the living room of his apartment when he said that to me. It's amazing the words you can remember over time and the impact they can have on your life. And so today we just want to set the foundation because I'm going to get into later on um, how, to, how to use your words. I want to talk about later on how to listen to words and what words you need to listen to and, 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 and where our words come from. And, and we're going to get into all of that stuff as we move through this series. But today we want to lay a foundation. And the foundation for today is just the simple fact that my words are powerful. As a matter of fact, I want you to say that. Everybody say this. Say, my words, my words. are powerful. Listen, Proverbs 18, 21, this is a great verse. This is going to kind of play through the rest of the series with us. It says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, if you take in what someone is saying, you will consume whatever it is that they're saying. You will consume their words, and they'll have impact on your life. And your words have the power of life and death. You need to remember that. As a matter of fact, in James 1.26, it says this. I love this. I just like James. James is probably my favorite book in the Bible. Um, if, you, if you were ever to say, what book should I read in the Bible first? I would probably send you to John to learn about the life of Christ and then immediately over to James to learn the most practical wisdom on how to live a life for Christ because James is pretty hardcore. Here's what James says in verse 26 of chapter 1. He says, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Yikes. Yikes. James says you can come to church all you want. You can dress like, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers all you want. You can get up and preach all you want. But if you can't control your tongue, all of your religion is worthless. James is a pretty tough fella. And he's just showing, I'm just illustrating here the power of our words, the power of our tongue. As a matter of fact, a couple of things to, to think about throughout the Bible, how powerful words are. God created in Genesis chapter 1, using his words. He didn't use his hands. The only thing God put his hands on was when he created man. Throughout Genesis chapter 1, it's all spoken word. As a matter of fact, he either said, uh, God said, God called, or God blessed 14 different times in Genesis chapter 1. God is constantly speaking, and his words create life. Jesus used words all the time. As a matter of fact, he used words to heal. He used words to forgive. He used words to calm storms. He used words to cast out demons. 
Think about this. Whenever a demoniac would come to Christ, the Bible says he would speak to it. He didn't always put his hands on him. He spoke to that demon and the demon left. When the storm was rising and the disciples were afraid and they're in the boat and they think they're going to drown, the Bible says Jesus spoke to the storm and the storm calmed down. When Lazarus was dead and buried in the tomb, Jesus said, open up the tomb. And he called Lazarus and Lazarus stood up and walked out of the tomb. It was his words that were powerful. His words were powerful. There's a little story. I'll I'll use this story as a great example. Luke chapter 5, verses 20 through 24. I'll read it quickly. It says this, uh, seeing their faith. So this is a story about four friends and they had a buddy that was paralyzed. They tear the roof off of a house, literally tear the roof off a house, and they lower their friend down on ropes to Jesus to try to get him close to Jesus. And Jesus is going to heal this guy. And so here's what it says in verse 20. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Doesn't say he touched the man. He spoke to the man. Your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, there's plenty of times in the Bible where Jesus heals people by touching them. We, we get that. I mean, there's one time he spits in the, in, the, in the sand and in the dirt and makes mud and puts it on the guy's eyes. We, we understand that there's, there is physical contact and that's okay. But there's plenty of times when he just uses his words, when his words are powerful. As a matter of fact, his words are so powerful. He said that if you will um, build your life on my words, there'll be a firm foundation for the rest of your life. We have to understand that words are powerful. As a matter of fact, words are so powerful, we use our words to get saved. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter 10, verse 9? It says, if you openly declare, confess, use your words, right? If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul lists the gifts of the Spirit. He lists nine different gifts of the Spirit. Seven of those nine gifts of the Spirit are all about your words. Prophecy and tongues, interpretation and uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Uh, Those are all words. And even one of them that's not about you saying, it says you are discerning. And it says you discern the message that someone else said. All about words. So what are we saying? We're saying words are very powerful. Words are very powerful. As a matter of fact, words, uh, honestly, are, it, it's like a, I would say weapon. Weapon has a bad connotation. Whenever you hear the word weapon, you think of something that's going to hurt someone. Um, when I think of weapon, I think of a gun. I think of a hunting rifle. And I should have brought mine in today, and I, I totally forgot. And, and then um, during worship, I remembered I was going to bring in a rifle. And then I walked out, and I knew that um, there's, a, there's a gun in, in my car. And Perry's got my keys, and I was going to get my keys, and I was going to get the gun. But then I realized... It's like, it's like a revolver. It's a woman's gun. 
Um, no, no, no. You thought I said it's a woman's gun, like it's a revolver. It's it's something that only a woman would use. It's a woman's gun in that it was my grandmother's gun. It's actually a literal woman's gun. It's her gun, and I've got it in my car, and, and I was going to bring it out. But then a revolver, you don't really hunt with, you know, a, a, a thirty-two special. So anyways, the, the point is, I, I got sidetracked. The point is this. A, a, a weapon, a gun, can be used for a variety of reasons. I can use that gun to hunt deer, not this year apparently, but I can use that gun to hunt deer and, and, and I can bring home food for my family to bring life into my home. I can also use that gun in an evil way to take life from someone else. Now, my whole life growing up, we've had guns. We've had weapons all over the house. And, and one of the rules in our home was that every gun is loaded. Every gun is loaded. Because my dad's philosophy was always that no one accidentally gets killed or gets shot by a loaded gun. They always accidentally get shot by an unloaded gun, right? Think about that for a second. When you think that gun's probably unloaded, and then you pick it up and you start pulling the trigger, what happens? You shoot the TV out, right, Dad? When I was a kid, when I was a kid, the old man was cleaning, he was cleaning the guns. And so we're sitting in the living room and we've got the, the missionary had just spoken at our church and the missionary sitting on the couch and I'm sitting on the floor and my brother's sitting next to the TV and my dad would clean a gun and, and he'd hand it to my brother and then, and then my brother would, you know, get it ready to be put back into the safe or whatever. And, and so, so they're cleaning the guns. My mom's sitting there and they're talking to the missionary and my dad's talking. He's probably bragging about his gun. He likes this particular one. And, and so he's got it all cleaned out and he's got it all ready. And, and he takes the gun and he, 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 um, he, he pushes the bolt forward and he holds it up and he's looking at, at the TV and there was a bug on the TV, like a literal, not like an actual bug, but like a bug on the, on the TV show. And so my dad's pointing the gun and the gun that he thought was unloaded because he had just cleaned actually had a bullet that was jammed in there that he didn't see. And so whenever he threw that hammer forward or through the locking mechanism forward, the, the bullet got in there. And my dad shot. Boom! And when he did, he shot the TV and the TV blew up. When the TV blew up, the shell came out. It ejected. And I wasn't wearing a shirt, of course. And so the shell ejects and it hits on my skin. And I go, ah, I've been shot because it burned, you know. At the same time, my brother is sitting next to the TV that now has a huge hole in it and glass went everywhere and glass got on my brother's face a little bit, not a lot. And my brother puts his hand on his face and looks and there's blood on his hand. He goes, ah, I've been shot. And he's diving behind the couch and my mom is screaming, honey, what are you thinking? And my dad's just sitting there and the missionary's sitting there like this. Like he never came back, did he? That missionary never came back. He quit the mission field. He's like, I'm done. I'm not even going to be a Christian anymore. If this is what pastors are like, I'm out of here. You got to be careful. You got to be careful with a gun, right? And so we always, we just always said every gun is loaded. You treat every gun like it's loaded. And you're always careful with the gun because guns can, guns can bring life into the home or they can bring death. And the same is true with our tongues. 
The same is true with our tongues. We need to understand the power of our words. There is power in the words you speak over the people in this room. There's power in the words you speak when you're at work, when you're at the gas station, when you're at home. There's power in your words. And so I want to give you three things very quickly. We won't take too long today. Three things that that I feel like we need to do. If our words are powerful, then there are three things we must do with our words. Okay? So the first thing is this. If our words are powerful, then we must be careful. We must be careful. James 3, 1 through 6, and I I basically just gave you illustrations for this point, but James 3, 1 through 6 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Yikes. Yikes. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want it to go by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can, be, it can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Wow. Wow, that's tough. James is saying that your tongue is like a fire. Be careful with it. When I was a kid, we lived in Costa Rica for a year. My parents were missionaries, and we were going to, you know, they send, they sent us to Costa Rica to learn Spanish so that then we could go to Guatemala. And so in, in that year in, in Costa Rica, there was a bunch of missionaries, and we all rented houses in this one, on this one street, basically, a bunch of missionaries did. So I had a bunch of kids to play with, and, and we would always go down. There was a dump, like, and when I say dump, I don't mean like an old rundown house. I mean literally a place where people threw their trash at the end of our street. And so this whole place was just full of trash, and we would go down there and play. And I, I, I don't know. Looking back, I'm like, man, what, what were you guys doing? Like, as, as parents, like, I'm so careful with my kids, and now I'm like, why am I even careful with them? Y'all just go do what you want. Who cares? You'll turn out fine. And so, so I went, and I'd play in this dump, and you're, you know, climbing over tires and people's trash. And you find, as a little kid, you find treasures or whatever. But I remember one time this kid, one of my buddies, we had, we had gotten a box of matches. And so you could go to this little tienda around the corner. And at that tienda, you could get matches. They didn't care how old you were. Um, I was six, I think, at the time. And so I could go buy matches. I could buy fireworks. The fireworks in this place would blow your fingers off. I mean, they were incredible. There's no regulations. They were awesome fireworks. Um, and so you could buy all kinds of stuff at this little tienda. And so we went out there. And I remember one of my buddies went out there one day without me. And he was playing And all of a sudden, I see fire trucks driving by. And he had a little match. He was playing with matches because we always did. We played with matches a lot. And so um, he played with matches. And he dropped one match in a particular spot in that dump, and it caught a fire. And when it did, the whole dump went up. Kind of like what's happening in Moody right now. (laughs) We're all living my story all over again. And so the whole dump went up in flames. One match, one spark, one small one small flame can have a huge impact. So we have to be careful with the words that we use. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. I've already said this. I'm going to read it again. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. 
and those who hear it, uh, those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, there's this thing called the midrash. The midrash is like, um, for those of you that, that ever read Bible commentaries, uh, so, so like there's a Bible commentary I like to read, um, or a couple of them that I like to read. The midrash is the Jewish Bible commentary from, uh, you know, back before Christ was born. And so, uh, so the Midrash is extremely old, and it's, it's what the rabbis would write commentary on the verses that they had read. And, and here's what the Midrash has to say about this verse. It says, the evil tongue slays three, the slanderer, the slandered, and the listener. The evil tongue slays three, the slanderer, the one doing the talking, the, the slandered, the one receiving, and the listener, just the one standing next to him. Just anybody around. Think about the power of our words. That it's not just me saying something to Sean. Now, I've, I'm, I may be bad because of what I said, and now Sean's hurt because of what he heard, uh, because of what I said to him. But Delisa is on the side, and she's listening. And now she has an evil thought of who I am. Man, Gabriel is such a jerk. I can't believe he said that to Sean. But now she also thinks something about Sean because of what I've said. Consider your words. There's a story I, I like to share out of the Bible. It's in, it's in Ruth. And, and I may be stretching it a little bit. I know it. I get it. I might be stretching it a little bit. But I want you just to listen to the story because I think it's kind of a neat little illustration when it comes to our words. Ruth chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Um, and, and I may have put the wrong... No, I did. I did it right. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. So Naomi is a, is a lady in the Bible. Um, I know we're reading the book of Ruth and it's talking about Naomi. But Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. And the whole book is about Ruth. It has nothing to do with the story. This is just the beginning. It says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both uh, Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So Naomi's this lady, her husband dies, and then her two boys die after they get married, right? And so... One time, just for kicks and giggles, I started looking at the names of the boys. And if you look up the names of the boys in Hebrew, Malon, his name is derived from the word that means sick or sickness. Kilion, his name is derived from the word that means destruction or annihilation. Isn't it interesting that these boys were named sickness and destruction and every day when they woke up, their dad said, come on in here, sickness, it's time for breakfast. Hey, destruction, you're doing that wrong. It also means failure, right? You're doing that wrong. What are you doing? Get in here, get out of there. In, in, in all their life, all they hear is sickness and destruction, sickness and failure, sickness and death. And they hear that their whole lives. And then what happens to them? They die. We're all going to die, just FYI, no matter what your name is. But they died early. They died early. And I know that's a stretch to say, Gabriel, you're, you're really taking that probably way out of context. And I probably am. But I just want you to think about the idea of what we say to the people around us. What we speak over our kids every day. What we speak over our neighbors or over our uh, spouses. And what we speak over our teachers or our students. And what they hear every day. Every day. And what kind of difference it makes later on. So number one, you have to be careful. Number two, if our words are powerful, we must be graceful. We must be graceful. Now, graceful does not mean, uh, you know, ballerina dance around. Graceful here means full of 
Grace, this side of the room got it. Y'all are good. I pointed at y'all, so that's, y'all are really good. This side is just as smart as y'all are, though. I'm not going to put them down. I'm going to have grace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says this. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let me read that again. It's very powerful. Underline it in your Bible. Highlight it on your app. Whatever you got to do, save this one. Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, I got stuck on this word encourage a while back. And um, even in our staff meeting, we did a whole staff meeting about this, the idea of encouragement and discouragement. I want you to think about this word for just a second, because as I give you grace, right, in my words, my words are graceful. um, I should be encouraging with my words. What does it mean to encourage someone? To encourage someone just means to give them courage. We think of encourage as you're doing a great job, buddy. But no, no, no. Encourage means to literally, I'm giving you courage to do something. Discourage means I am taking courage away from you. And what happens when I pull courage away from you? Only one thing fills that void, and that's fear. So with my words, I should either, I'm either going to be encouraging you or discouraging you. And Paul says we should use our words to encourage now, you think about that. You think about, a let, let's take a kid who's wanting to try out for a basketball team or a football team or whatever the case is. If you're always telling that kid you're not good enough, you'll never make it, right? If you're always telling that kid that, that, that they're never going to be, you, know, you can't shoot, you can't run, you can't pass, you can't do whatever the case is. What we do is we are taking courage away from that kid. And then we wonder why that kid doesn't want to go try out for the team. Why? Because they're afraid. Because they have no courage. But if you're telling that kid, hey, you may not be the best shooter, but you're fast. You, you, you may not be the tallest, but, but you're scrappy. And you've got good defense, right? And you encourage, you give them courage. Now they can face the fear because they have courage. Throughout the Bible, God tells people, he told Joshua, and Joshua's going to take over for Moses when Moses dies. He says, be of good courage, be strong and courageous. God is all about filling us with courage. And it's not a false courage. I'm not going to be a, 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 whenever I coach people in fitness, I'm not going to look at somebody that's never lifted 100 pounds before and tell them they should lift 300 pounds. That's dumb, right? Like That's silly. But what you do is you give them the courage to lift the 100 pounds. You give them the courage to say, hey, you, it's okay if you fail. You're going to try. You're gonna, you know, we, we have to learn how to give people courage. Don't take courage away from them. I remember coming up, and, and, and I'll talk about this more. I'm, try, I, I'm trying to save some of this stuff because there's another message I want to preach on how we receive words, right? And, and so, so I'm not going to get into this too, too much yet. But I remember coming up in life, and, and I was always compared as a pastor. My dad preaches and does an excellent job. He's an excellent preacher. Um, and my dad was, was always a pastor when I was growing up. And I was always compared to my dad. And so I started preaching le- legitimately. Like, I think my first sermon that I ever preached um, in front of anyone, I was probably 14, 15 years old, and I was probably preaching in front of the whole church. I got my first opportunity maybe at 16 years old. 
15 or 16 years old. And so I've been preaching a long time. I'm old, so I've been preaching a long time. And the whole time I've been preaching, now trust me, those first sermons were horrible, right? They were terrible. Um, But when I first started preaching, I was always compared to him. Always compared to him. And I would always get the label of, because I would try to tell jokes and funny stories, I would always get the label of being the funny guy, not the spiritual guy. Because dad's deep. Dad's deep. And dad can dig into God's word. And dad's like a walking uh, commentary, right? Like he's Google when it comes to the Bible. I have to literally Google verses, even though I'll preach the same verse. I can, uh, Proverbs 18, 21. Listen, if you ask me tomorrow what verse I preach, I can tell you what it said. I won't be able to tell you the reference. I never remember it. But I remember coming up, always getting labeled the funny guy, not the spiritual guy. And so whenever it came time, when I felt like I should preach certain topics, I wouldn't preach them. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't touch anything on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is too deep. And I'm not spiritual enough to preach on the Holy Spirit. I'll leave that up to Dad. Think about that for a second. What happened? I was discouraged, even in my gift. I was discouraged And so, therefore, I didn't have the courage to preach on something that I should have been preaching on. And so people would say, well, why didn't you preach on this? And why don't you ever preach on that? And internally, I couldn't tell them I'm too afraid to preach on it because I'm not good enough. So externally, I'd make up an excuse. Well, I'm going to preach about this or that. And and I'll tell my funny stories. And I tried to lean into that. And I thought that was it. And then there was times when I would say, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to preach. I'm not telling one funny story. I'm only going to be serious the whole time. And I couldn't do it. Man, I had to tell something stupid. I just want you to see, like, it's not about, you need to understand the idea that whenever you encourage someone, you are giving them the courage to do something that maybe God's called them to do. But if you continually discourage them, you are drawing the courage out of them, and now they're not going to do what God's called them to do. And so it's important that we encourage. John 16, 33, the Bible says this, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, this is Jesus speaking, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Now, we just sang the song, right? We just sang the song, and Pastor Jonathan and I didn't collaborate on this. We just sang a song that says, take heart, take heart, take heart. This is where it comes from. But listen, this is so cool to me. None of the the translations that I use in preaching that are on the computer back there use the word take courage. Although, if you look it up literally, instead of saying take heart, it says take courage. Everybody else says take heart. But it's a word that means um, tharseo. And here are the words that this word means. Take heart means empowered with a bold inner attitude. Radiate warm confidence. Unflinching bold courage. When Jesus says take heart... He is encouraging us. He says, yeah, things might get bad, but listen, you can have courage in the face of every storm. You can have courage in the face of every trial, every situation. Why? Because I've already overcome the world. You can have courage. Jesus is trying to encourage us, not discourage us. Even though he just said things are going to be really bad. That's discouraging. If I were to just get up here and tell you, hey guys, listen. Life is going to be hard. Life is going to be hard. You're going to fail at a lot of stuff. Marriage is going to be hard. Kids, they're going to be very hard. Like, it's going to be, life is hard. Being a boss is hard. Being a leader is hard. Being a coworker is difficult. 
If I told you all that and just walked off the stage, you'd be like, man, I'm very discouraged today. But Jesus comes back and says, but take heart. Be encouraged. Have a bold inner courage. Why? Because I've already overcome everything. I've already fought the battle for you. So are we giving people courage to accomplish? Are we taking courage away from them, leaving a vacuum for fear? Think about this as a pastor, myself as a pastor. Am I encouraging you? As a leader, are you encouraging other people around you? As a manager or a boss, are you encouraging or discouraging? As a parent, are you encouraging your kids? As a spouse, are you encouraging your spouse? As a sibling, as a coworker, as a coach, as a mentor, are we encouraging those around us? And listen, if you're not a mentor or a leader or a boss, are you encouraging those above you? Because let me tell you, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. I, I, don't, I, I don't do it for this, but um, there's a couple of people, and in, in, in one of them, she doesn't go to church here, so I'm going uh, to talk about her. But whenever, I'm, whenever I coach at the gym, there's this lady named Nancy. And every single time I coach her, I don't know if I've done a good job or a bad job. It may have been the worst class in the world. Who knows? But every single time, Nancy will come up to me, and she'll say, Gabriel, thank you for a good class. And man, it, it means so much to have someone say that. Why? It's encouraging. She doesn't have to do that. I'm the one that should be encouraging her. I should be encouraging her. Nancy, you did a great job on your squats today. You did an awesome job on your shoulder overhead, whatever the case is. But she's the one encouraging me. So let me just tell you guys, you guys that are students in the room, encourage your teachers. Yeah, but they're over me. Encourage your teachers. You want them to be a better teacher? Give them courage to teach you. But if you continue to discourage your teacher then they're going to be afraid to teach you. They're going to be afraid to say certain things to your class. So learn how to encourage your teacher. Encourage your boss. Encourage those above you. It's important that we encourage. The last one is this. I know we got to go. Be faithful. Be faithful. So we have to be careful. We have to be graceful. And we have to be faithful. James 3, 9 through 12 says this. Sometimes it praises, talking about the tongue, Sometimes the tongue praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble up out both fresh and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Listen, we have to be faithful with our words. Be consistent with your words. Don't be, that, don't be that person. Don't be that parent. And listen, I, I feel like sometimes I struggle with this. That sometimes I'm very, I can be very sarcastic. I can be very um, joking all the time. And then all of a sudden, we shift gears real fast and I'm being very serious. Have you ever had somebody shift gears real fast on you? I was in Finland one time for a missions trip. And this, I got in the car with this teenage boy and he was our, his parents were our home openers. And the teenage boy was driving us around and all the streets had snow and ice on them. Every single one had snow and ice on them. And they just know how to drive in that. In Alabama, we would be like, I'm staying home for the next three months. Like we wouldn't have gone out on this stuff, but this kid knew how to drive. And he's in like some like Toyota Camry or something. And he's driving around and he says, watch this. And anytime a teenage boy is driving and they say, watch this, you may as well buckle up 
put your feet up on the dash, do something because you're about to get hurt. And so we are driving down this street and all of a sudden he pops the emergency brake and cuts the wheel as hard as he can. And that car got sideways. And so we're going down the street looking in the front doors of the houses now, you know what I mean? And, and he got sideways. And as soon as we lined right up with the street that we had to go up the hill, he pushed the emergency brake out, back out and then hit the gas. And when he did, we took off straight up the hill. It was the most amazing thing in the world, and I was totally terrified, right? He shifted gears on me really quick. Like, we went from this way to this way about that fast. And we do that with our words. We do that with our words. And that's why we have to be careful. Whenever you're leading a small group, we've got all these small groups starting up. Whenever you're leading a small group, you can't be in your small group talking about all this spiritual stuff. And then you go out back and you're gossiping. And you're talking bad about your wife and you're talking bad about your kids and you're talking bad about your boss. And and then you get back in small group or you get up on stage and you grab a microphone. That's why I said a cuss word earlier. That way, if I get off stage and I say something that you'll be like, yeah, that's who he is. Just kidding. I don't cuss. And so it's important to understand that we've got to be consistent, be consistent, be faithful. To be faithful means uh, it means being consistent, it means be, uh, fidelity. It means I'm, I'm stable. Here's another thing when it comes to our words and why we need to be faithful with our words. This is a hard verse. You ready for a hard one? You ready for me to pull the emergency brake on you real quick? I don't like this one. I didn't want to preach this one, but I'm going to put it in here anyway. Matthew 12, 36. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says this, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day. It doesn't say you must give an account on Judgment Day for every website you looked at. It doesn't say you're going to give account on Judgment Day for, um, for, for every person you cheated. It doesn't say you're going to give account on Judgment Day for, uh, you know, all the times that you went out behind the school and smoked a cigarette, whatever the case is. It says you're going to give account on Judgment Day for every idle word you speak. The word idle there means lazy, thoughtless, unprofitable, or injurious. What am I saying? I'm saying even Jesus keeps track of our words. Now, last week we talked about grace. I get it. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to put legalism on you at all. I'm just trying to help all of us see the power of our words. Our words are powerful. Our words are so powerful that God pays attention to what we say. That's important. Let's end the message. We'll end with one verse, Luke 6, 45. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. So today, if you're having a problem with your words... Chances are it's not a word problem, it's a heart problem. Chances are it's a heart problem. Can I, can I confess another story about myself? My, so my wife and I have a little bit of property. And our goal is to build a house, and it's her dream. She wants to build a house so bad. She's in kids right now, so that's why she's not in here. But she wants to build a house so bad. And honestly, if we're being really honest, and she and I have had this conversation, I'm not giving you something I haven't given her. When I look at it, 
Like, like we've taken our plans to a builder, and I, I look at, and he gave us a price back, an estimation back. And I looked at that, and I was like, there's no way on God's green earth that we're going to be able to ever build a house. I mean, there's just no way I can afford to build this. And then the economy's going to tra- uh, crash, and, and, and building supplies are up, and labor is up, all this. And my brain goes into this place not and I call it here's here's how I justify myself. I say I'm being a realist. But in honest if I'm being honest with you, I'm being anxious. If I'm being honest with you, it's a little bit of fear. Yeah, there's some reality in there, but there's there's some fear in there. And so we had this conversation my wife and I did a while back because here's what happened. Every time she would bring up the house, I would always bring up something negative. Every time she'd bring up something positive, I would always bring up something negative. And and listen, I I got to thinking, I'm just saying these negative things because I'm trying to, uh, even the the battlefield here, right? Like she's doing all this positive. I've got to bring something negative to bring it back down. And and I realized one time, it wasn't a matter of the house. It wasn't a matter of the economy. It, It wasn't a matter of my brain trying to be smart. It was a matter of my heart had fear in it. And so every conversation we had was filtered through a heart of fear not through a heart of hope and promise, faithfulness. So today there may be some of you in the room and, and you're saying, I've got a word problem and really it's a, it's a heart problem. Maybe there's some fear that was, some courage that was taken from you as a child, that was taken from you even as an adult. And now all of a sudden everything you speak, you speak from that heart of fear. Maybe there was some pain that's in your life. And now every time you talk to someone, if things are going good, you can't help but sabotage it because you, you, you're speaking out of this defense mechanism. And every word you say is, is out of this defense mechanism. Because I don't want to get hurt again, so I'm going to build this wall with my words. It, it, could, be, it could be today that, that you are afraid of, of losing someone or something. And so what do you do? I start saying things that I know I shouldn't say. Maybe, maybe there's some pain from something else, but, but whenever your spouse brings something up or your kids bring something up, have you ever noticed that you, if you talk to your spouse a different way than you talk to the people, the women at your job or the men at your job? Do you talk to other people's kids different than you talk to your kids? I wonder if it's a problem with your heart. I wonder if there's some pain. I wonder if there's a scar. I wonder if there's some sin. I wonder if there's an issue in your heart today. And maybe if we learn today to build this foundation of getting that part right, and then maybe our words, it'll be easier to get our words right if we get our heart right. Why don't you stand up with me this morning?